Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Well, before we begin, uh, two things. This has been a tough year on amazing people leaving our planet earlier than we would have liked, the most recent one being Greg Sager, who most people know for the outrageous outfits and for the sort of awkwardly uh, affectionate, playful repartee with Greg Popovich in the midst of basketball games, and uh, he has, of course, been battling cancer for some time, and that battle came to an end, and he certainly did not lose that battle by any stretch of the imagination. He has gone to his great reward and is in a far, far better place. This has been a hell of a year uh, in terms of people making transitions from this world to the next. It is to be expected. It is the way of all flesh, but my gosh, this has been... Huh, heck of a year in terms of that. And I see, speaking of gifts, that I've been joined by one of my favorite presents that I get to unwrap at least once a week, sometimes a couple of times a week, Gentleman James Coburn. How are you doing, Jim? Pretty good. And obviously, I wish you a very happy, healthy Merry Christmas and a wonderful new year. I hope that you will go from 2016 into 2017 surrounded by, you know, health, wealth, happiness, by the love of the people that appreciate you and surrounded by nothing but chances to improve. So now we find ourselves at pretty much the end. I mean, we have just over a week left in 2016, which went by very, 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 very quickly. At least for me, it did. Shockingly so, in fact. Obviously, we are in bowl season. Uh, pro football is only a few weeks away from playoffs. In case, in the case of college football, the playoffs have almost come to their end. Uh, we're at the championship game area for, you know, Division Two and Division Three and FCS and, of course, obviously drag it out more for FBS because drama and FBS-ishness of it all, but there are college players who are finding out whether they'll be playing their last games as collegians, as amateurs, and, of course, we'll talk about amateurism and its slippery-ish slopes and how some people have reacted to some amateurs choosing not to participate in, you know, some post, you know, some postseason opportunities. I guess you can say to showcase their their wares 
one final time in some cases, and of course, like I said, kind of politely declined the offer. There's been some furor, at least in some quarters, over the fact that certain collegians are, are not taking the bowl games up on this opportunity, and then uh, some, you know, some will, obviously most will. But people are afraid, or some people are afraid, that it will become a trend, it will become, you know, acceptable, and soon everybody will sit them out, and how will we field teams and anarchy, dogs and cats living together, et cetera. So, Jim, uh, we'll sort of walk through these things slowly but surely. Uh, I guess the first thing, is this a tempest in the teapot, or is it the camel's nose under the tent? Well, I mean, does it really matter, guys? I mean, I'm just, in terms of, like, this is just something that's going to happen more and more as players start to care about their future, their body, all those sort of things. And the fact that they get shafted, man, by head coaches leaving and going to other football teams. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how common like if it's been like a a more common thing for coaches to leave their programs before bowl games and that sort of thing, um, you know, for other jobs. But that obviously is something that happens a lot now. And when you see football players deciding, you know what, I'm going to sit out this last game, especially guys that to me, I mean, I, I think they're not 100% healthy. You know, they're guys that have had injuries at the beginning of the year, at least for Fournette and McCaffrey are guys that were banged up a bit at the beginning of the year. So they're still banged up. It's just they're a little bit healthier than they were, uh, you know, uh, at that other point to a certain extent. So I can completely see why they do what they do. Linwood, I want to play another game, but, again, it's just a decision. But the bottom line is, is, like, players are going to start to care about their health and their future and everything else. Um, and – as much as people don't want to admit it, the NFL is, is a very selfish business, uh, and it's always been that. Uh, it's just that people don't like to admit it, that a lot of people are in it for themselves and all those sort of stuff. And occasionally you'll get instances where it isn't exactly like that, but for the most part you're, you're dealing with, uh, you know, capitalism in, you know, not its purest form, but at least in some form. And, and we have that right. type of situation um you're going to care about numero uno and your family before you care about everything else so um and i know some people say oh well that's a new concept and all this kind of stuff which i guess you could say sure i mean but keep in mind i mean this is a completely different culture now as you know as i was talking to donovan about on his show before as you know bill i mean if you had injuries or a broken rib or whatever they just you know shoot you up with who knows what, yeah. you know, and go, go out there <laughs> and play. Yeah, right. If you had a concussion, you know, or some other sort of thing where you were knocked out, they'd get the smell and salt out, <laughs> breathe it in, yep. you're awake, and then put you back out there again. So, like, that's the sort of culture that has evolved, of course. It's not exactly – it's still, there's still stuff there, but, like, it isn't exactly like that 100% right now. But that's kind of what you're dealing with is the culture of, just that, where you play through everything, uh, unless you're dead, versus a culture now where it's 
hey, I, I kind of want to walk when I get into my 50s and 60s and know who I am, you know, stuff like that. So um, it just is what it is. Uh, but I, I don't think it's something to be frowned upon that players are starting to care about their own safety and their own future and stuff like that. I think that's kind of silly uh, to a certain extent, unless you are an owner of a team and stuff like that where you care about getting the product onto the football field. So that's a completely different thing, of course. But, you know, it, it's it's all about your interests versus the interests of individuals, I guess, what it comes down to. And I will answer that implied question. It is more common for coaches and staff to depart prior to bowl games than it was in the past. I mean, it used to be the only time you left that early is if you got fired. I mean, it wasn't your choice, but as you pointed out, the world's changed. Evolution has taken place. I am much more willing to embrace this new world than I probably would have been 20, 25 years ago. But then it wouldn't have come up five years ago. So if we can live in this new world where teams are college teams, I'm talking about now, are putting the kinds of demands that they now put. I mean, that's the that's the other thing. It's when you are a scholarship athlete playing football, even at a, an FCS level, forget, you know, or, or, or a better Division II program, it's essentially a year-round commitment. You're expected to not go home for the summer. You're expected to participate in spring ball, summer, quote-unquote, uh, voluntary workouts to come in at whatever weight you know, whether it be gaining or losing or whatever they've been asked to do. If the coaching staff has changed, you're expected to come in understanding the offense when you show up again in, in the fall or summer, I guess summer, summer for summer camp. You're expected to know the new offense. I mean, all kinds of things are expected. So we see so many fewer multi-sport athletes, right? Those there are occasional ones, but it used to be very, very common. Jack Del Rio caught Randy Johnson and was a all Pac-10 linebacker. You know, we always talk about guys like Peppers and Ronald Curry who played basketball at Eastern North Carolina. Briefly, you had Donovan McNabb being a backup point guard at Syracuse, no less, which is a pretty decent program, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, that's not like you know, he's at some, any old school. He's like seventh guy, eighth guy off the bench at Syracuse. That's, that tells you something. So that was completely possible at one point, you know. Montana thought about trying to play basketball at Notre Dame. Ended up not doing it, but it was something he considered. He almost, he was a very fine basketball player. And some people thought in high school that that was actually his best sport. But the demands now especially if you're playing quarterback. I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, 
initially you had guys like John Pay and Elway and Chad Hudson playing both sports in college and some of them even, you know, being drafted, as Elway was, and deciding to play minor league baseball. And that's not the way that it's so weird. Like, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. Oh, but you can sign a multi-million dollar contract and play minor league baseball. No biggie. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it, but it's just a funny thing for them not to object to with all the things to which they object, that that would be completely okay. But, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. But, but to just to kind of piggyback on that point, I honestly think there's too much specialization, only in the sense of <laughs> if, if you are a quarterback and all you do is quarterback, the thing about – it's like anything else. The thing about playing multiple sports or playing multiple – or just being exposed to, to different concepts and ideas is a lot of times you may borrow something or innovate, if you will. You know, you're not in a box. You're doing all these different types of things, and you figure something out, you know, or you uh, – and, of course, you know, there's the whole thing about – multi-sport athletes also being well-rounded athletes, you know, because they're not just mm-hmm. using the same things over and over and over again. They're using multiple parts of their body, you know, to do different things as well they're better overall athletes when they do those types of things. So, like, I just think when it comes to specialization, yeah, there's a the whole concept of, like, well, you know, you're going to become a quarterback and that's all you're going to do is study quarterback and study this and study that, but you might get into the trap of being so focused on trying to learn that position that you don't get to the point where you can just take a step back, if you will, and actually see, you know, innovate or, you know, figure something else out that you get some kind of inspiration from some other sport or some other thing, you know? Um, So basically if you're just not exposed to different ideas and different concepts, you, you kind of get stagnation a bit. And I think that's, I mean, that's not exactly what's happening hundred percent, but it is, you do see a lot of times where you have guys who all they do is quarterback and that's all they do. You know, they're, they're in a bubble, you know, like there's, and eventually, right. you know, the bubble's going to burst. Well, Florida, California, and Texas have made it possible for you to do quarterback things 12 months of the year nowadays. Well, pretty much. I mean, it's it's not. Just, I mean, you have quarterbacks that are preparing for college at ten years old, nine years old, eight years old. You know, we got little six year old. We got little six year olds going. You know, how's it going? I committed to Texas. You know, uh, today. <laughs> oh, how do you? Uh, well, you know, you like football, huh? Yeah, I really like football. Like it's. I'm just saying, like, the the fact that we're interviewing 11- and 10-year-olds about their commitments to college programs tells you that things have gone a little too far when it comes to, you know, specialization and everything else like that. Um, Because, again, you're just – you're way too focused on one thing, um, and as a result, you can have consequences to those types of things. Especially you might have a guy who, you know, goes into college football at quarterback and realizes that he just really doesn't like playing quarterback or playing football, you know, like he, he likes this other sort of thing, you know, that he gets exposed to, for example, but 
you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's just another thing on top of everything else. It's, it's just a simple fact that I, I don't think you can in, – in general, I just don't really think you can really innovate much of, in any sort of field if you're not sort of – if you don't have, like, a, a overall view of a couple things. And it's not to say that every sport is the same, but it is – you know, there are some things that you can pick up from – yeah, it, it's it's almost like with you know I know we the common edge is like oh well he played basketball so he's going to be a great tight end, well not necessarily but you do you can learn certain things like hand eye coordination and you know boxing people out like there's different things that you can pick up from basketball apply to football and actually turn yourself into a really good player, but not even being like a tight end it could be any sort of position so. Like, there's just lots of things that you can kind of learn from and add to your thing. But if all you're doing is studying one position and that's it, it's kind of, again, it's kind of hard to innovate or steal or borrow things from other sort of sports, I guess, uh, on top of sort of the, you know, making yourself a better all-around athlete. If you just do the same thing over and over and over again, you know, you're not exactly going to improve dramatically at times. But before we move on from this, the thing that stand out to me, I remember Army Navy, Navy's backup quarterback who became sort of a mini folk hero, uh, was a state champion wrestler. Which, one, I love that because I wrestled. But two, you don't hear that very often. I mean, lots of football players wrestle, but you rarely hear about quarterbacks being state champion wrestlers. (laughs) That is a somewhat unusual particular crossover sport for it not to be basketball or baseball, but for his, you know, his other best sport, you know, to be wrestling and to be really good at it. You You know, he wasn't just dabbling. He was a state champion. And obviously that tells you a lot about balance, Explosiveness, strength, mental toughness. I mean, I played, I did both. And let me assure you, I mean, football's a tough sport, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, geez, 12 minutes, right? We'd have 12 minute drill, 12 minutes of wrestling. Somebody, you know, in your weight class, you could wrestle up or wrestle down, you know, work on your quickness by wrestling down against a smaller guy, work on your strength by wrestling up against a bigger guy. But 12 minutes of wrestling, man. I, 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 to put it in perspective, it's like going for a nice job with a piano on your back. It's super, super fatiguing. I mean, it's a, a, a two-and-a-half-hour football practice would, would be equivalent to a 12-minute drill, 12 minutes of wrestling. Just took everything out of you, everything, no breaks. I mean, because, you know, the, it would be twice as long as an actual match, which had breaks. So the idea was to make practice twice as hard as an actual match, and it was, it worked. Uh, <laughs> we were very well conditioned. <laughs> but uh, to see that, we always think about offensive linemen and defensive linemen, you know, and obviously – uh, one of the cool things about Roddy White is that he was a state champion wrestler as well, but I don't see too many quarterbacks. Like I said, I'm trying to think of another quarterback. I mean, 
I remember that kid, Danny Kendra, at Florida State looked like he could have been back in the day, but I can't think of any other guys who played quarterback at a high level in college were state well, they don't. wrestlers. I mean, anytime you think of a quarterback who played a different sport, it's usually baseball or basketball. Yeah. No, for the most part. You know, you... Yeah, almost always I mean, in that order, yes. Yeah. yeah, so like it's... You might hear water polo, possibly, you know, because I, you know, Cam Newton, I think, did water polo, which... Thinking about it, he'd probably be pretty dang good at it. But, um, but you know, like that's it's baseball, it's baseball, basketball, you know, pretty that's much. Wilson I mean, there's not a lot of was a junior Olympian in volleyball. Yeah, exactly. You don't really you, you kind of hear that too, but like those are the big things, you know. Um, and it makes some sense, you know, like hey, you throw you throw things. That's what you do, you know, but it's, you know, like there's other things. I mean, just like you said with wrestling, you know, on top of that, you know, you might be able to develop pretty, you know, decent ability to avoid people, you know, if you had that sort of stuff. Leverage, obviously, that's the thing people always talk about with, and it is, you know, I mean, a lot of leverage, but I think what people underestimate is quick thinking, you know? There were I've seen guys lose matches to guys who they should have beaten simply because the guy did something unexpected, you know, something that you didn't know he had in his book of moves, or you know, you just got surprised, you got taken by you know, banged by surprise. It can happen very quickly. A match where I've seen guys who are just getting killed by a superior wrestler. I mean, I I took advantage of that once. I was up against guys number five in the state, and he was killing me, and I just of all things, it was like one of the simplest moves in the world. A simple, I sunk a deep half Nelson and just ran, got my hips out and ran to his head and stuck him. And he didn't see it coming. You know, one, one he knew he was better than me. And I think he was beating me pretty badly. And I think he kind of thought he had in the bag. And it, it was almost like the sheer simplicity of it caught him off guard. Despite the fact that I'm a very bright guy and I, you know, learned a lot of techniques, Every single time I actually won, it was always something simple. <laughs> the funny thing is, like all the complicated stuff, you know, I'd throw some stuff out there, you know, some some of the more, you know, hey, man, grapevine, Chorella, you know, all that fun stuff. But every time I actually won, it was always something super simple, gut wrench, um, deep half, uh, you know, I cross face and then, you know, turn wither or whatever, something, always simple stuff. So it's funny, you know, for all the stuff you learn and they make you learn all this stuff, you know, they brought in a guy from Russia who uh, was a Sambo champion to teach us like some Russian stuff that some of which we couldn't even use. Like uh, I remember one time (laughs) Bobby Stovall threw this beautiful, like it was basically like a, like a, a jiu-jitsu, I mean, it was based on, I think we learned from the Samba guy, it was like a jiu-jitsu, what they call football which is like a, a hip throw, basically. And But he, but when he did it, he did it, so, this kid was so explosive, he did it so explosively, it was like a high-amplitude throw, the guy would go, wham, you know? <laughs> like, suddenly his feet are up there, his head's down there, and then he's on his back, and Bobby's about to finish him off, and they said, you know, they, they he actually lost the match because it was, they hit him with potentially dangerous. And, uh, you know, uh, whatever. 
but it was beautiful. Like we, we were all around by like, dude, that's the most awesome thing we've ever seen. <laughs> but you know, sorry, sorry, they they yeah they made you you know they took the match away from you. My God, was that beautiful to watch. But yeah, so we learned a whole bunch of stuff. stuff we some of it we couldn't even use. But it's amazing how quickly you have to think to be a good wrestler. As talented as you might be physically, if the other person is thinking faster than you, you're going to lose. That's the thing I, I took away from my, you know, my, my wrestling career was that you have to think faster. You know, if you're a super fast human being, one guy, we had one guy who was fast, like a sprinter fast on the wrestling team, a kid named Rodney. But I don't, Rodney wasn't a kid that loved wrestling, first of all. I don't know why he was even on the team. I don't know if it was like somebody encouraged it, whatever. He's one of those guys who just got the feeling he was decent enough, and he could have probably been really good because he's a really good natural athlete and, you know, a good football player. And, but he wasn't – I guess his best sport probably was track. And so sometimes, you know, he would be without his surfaces because he'd actually – indoor track season overlap with – once again, so he – I don't know how he even did all the stuff he did because football would overlap, and then on front end, and then on the back end, our indoor track season would overlap on the back end of our wrestling season. So he would mitch some stuff on the front end, and then we missed some stuff on the back end, and then, you know, whatever. But the point is that um, he was super fast. Like, as a person, he could run fast. He was, you know, probably third, fourth fastest guy in the entire school, and my school had a guy who later went on to be an Olympic alternate named Andre Kaysen from Texas A&M. Well, he later went on from Green Run to Texas A&M. Uh, was an NCAA champion in 200 meters. At one point, held the U.S record, I believe, in the 200 meters at one point. But yeah, super fast. Uh, he wasn't that fast. Rodney wasn't as fast. As, nobody was as fast. I mean, the kid was the fastest 16-year-old in the country at one point. He set an age group record in the 100 meters at the Gatorade uh, Winter Nationals in 1986? Either 85 or 86. So yeah, he was at one point the fastest 16-year-old person in, in our country. So you know, he wasn't that fast, but he was fast. But he wasn't a fast wrestler, despite the fact that he was a super twitched up, as people now would say, uh, super quick, super fast athlete. He didn't think wrestling that fast. And th- I think that's one thing that helps you. If you're a running back or a wide receiver or even a quarterback, the the fact that you can't hesitate, <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> you know, if, you, if somebody throws, even if it's a Crappy, if it's a crap, even if their technique is crappy, if they come at you and you're hesitant, they can beat you with bad technique just because they got there first. They got you, they got you into a bad position fast enough that by the time you started to recover, it was too late. Which is how I beat Jeff Carroll, <laughs> who was a way better wrestler. <laughs> I don't think he, he, he thought I was going to be on the defensive. It's like, dude, I got nothing to lose. You're better than me. I'm, I'm not going to be on the defensive. Yeah, you're beating the living daylights out of me. I'm not trying to just lose with honor. I'm trying to win this damn thing, which I think sort of took him by surprise. But, um, oh, injury. That's the other part I want to talk about. Some medical professionals have said that multi-sport athletes are also less prone to injury. Now, I don't know if there's been any actual – This it all sounds kind of anecdotalish, but is there anything that you've run across that seems to bear that out, Jim? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I haven't really gotten to injury stuff yet or character stuff yet, but, you know, but it is anecdotal in the sense of 
because you're not using the same muscles over and over and over again, you're not going to overstrain yourself or overexert yourself uh, to a certain extent, you know, if you're, because if you're constantly using the same, you know, muscles over and over and over again, then, you know, you can have issues as a result of that, which most people know about, you know, for the, for the most part, you know. Right, right. I mean, if you've ever played baseball for any length of time, I mean, I, I didn't pitch often. I was like an emergency, like when there's a blowout or you're in a tournament where you use up all your pitchers or something like that. I was the kind of guy that would pitch in, you know, essentially terrible emergencies. You know, oh, God, we're running out of pitchers. Carroll can kind of get to the ball in the strike zone. I did not have a strong arm. I mean, like, I wasn't, like a, I wasn't ever going to blow the ball past people. But I could keep the ball in the strike zone. And most of what I threw had a natural sink to it, even when I didn't want to sometimes, uh, which, you know, I was mostly a second baseman. And, you know, I, I was the kind of person that would, uh, even by accident, even when I didn't want it to, I don't know anything about my grip or whatever, usually a certain amount of natural sink to everything I threw. So you're, my first baseman, who was a tall kid, uh, got a good amount of work on, you know, getting down, getting down on ball. But, I remember just, I would always, usually, I would never pitch, I never pitched a complete game. Even, you know, of course, we're talking about, you know, six innings, seven innings at the, you know, little league levels that I, that I ever played. I never, I never played in a nine-inning game in my life. You know, by the time you get to the nine-inning level, I'd stop playing baseball. But, uh, so I would pitch part of a six- or seven-inning game, which would be probably, I think I'd, I'd never pitched more than about two innings in my entire life. And it doesn't, once again, I mean, it, we're talking about, you know, I'm young and resilient, but still my arm was super tender, you know? <laughs> um, it's like, wow, I only pitched a couple innings, and I'm not throwing hard anyway because I couldn't. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a powerball guy, as I said. I was a junk baller, even at like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I was a junk baller. You know, when I learned, I remember I learned how to throw. I was, I was in Boys Life magazine of all places. They had an interview with um, uh, Frank Viola, you know, and uh, young, and he's talking about, you know, the circle change. Like, oh, okay, I can learn that. And I remember I taught myself the circle change from watching the, the Boys Life interview with Frank Viola, and they had somebody else on. I tried even a knuckleball at one point. That's, I don't know how people master that. I. <laughs> I mean, it moved. <laughs> I could get it to do that, but I had no idea where it was. Literally no idea where it was going. I mean, there times when I would sail it, you know, four or five feet over the catcher's head. Other times it would just bounce, you know. Well, this wasn't even at major league distance, so 30-something feet probably, 38 feet probably, 37 feet. So, yeah, I don't know how people control a knuckleball at all. That's beyond me. But, but yes, your arm hurts. When you pitch, I mean, my sometimes I'd be warming up a catcher, and my arm would maybe not hurt, hurt, but it'd be a little, you know, feel a little something like, oh wow, I don't know. God bless major league pitchers. I don't know how they do it. You know, if you're throwing hard like they do and you do it repeatedly, their arms just must hurt all through the season. I mean, there can't be any way that their arms just don't hurt all the time throughout the season. They must just be uncomfortable constantly. Um, but yes. So though it's not a trauma-based sport like football, 
you rarely see, you know, I mean, occasionally, but rarely do you see, you know, somebody gets beamed or they really cut down on even um, the collisions at home plate. You know, maybe a guy runs to a wall or whatever, but most of the injuries are obviously just the repetitive usage injuries. Basketball, it's back injuries, right? I mean, and knees, knees and back. Uh, but football, you know, gives you a nice variety. <laughs> hey, broken hands, broken feet, torn, torn ligaments, legs, and tendons, bro, torn by right, <laughs> right. Um, I've seen guys get teeth knocked out. You know, hello hockey. I know you lead the world in that. Um, I once saw a guy even have his throat knocked. In, I mean, not his throat, his tongue knocked out his throat. Uh, running back for the Chiefs' name was it Jack Holmes? This is early on in my football watching, I was a kid, like a little kid, like three or four. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Well, I didn't say that. I was thinking like, what's going on? My dad explained like they're trying to pry his mouth open. They didn't have to, but he, was he actually knocking out some of his teeth uh, to, in an effort to get his tongue out? But yeah, he was returning a kick and, you know, this is 70s football. We could, you know, really hit people. And somebody came down and just, I mean, you know, just, you know, just blammo. I mean, you don't see hits like the kind of hits I grew up watching anymore. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still a very tough physical game, but people, the way people hit each other in the 70s, I'm surprised no one just flat out, wasn't just flat out killed. (laughs) I mean, totally there was something very close, like Daryl Stingley, but my God, I mean, the way people hit each other, wow. (laughs) I mean, Truly, it was stunning the hits you saw people put on each other those days. But yeah, he didn't die, as it turned out. He did have a brush with, you know, pretty scary, you know. But yeah, so we come to the sport that we love, football. And it, I think the game of itself is the game itself is something of a gift. And what we do or attempt to do, right? Evaluate, assess, um, figure out. Uh, predict based on, well, what? Uh, Data, obviously, as you pointed out, that's something you've done a lot of work in terms of figuring out what actually is real and what's imaginary, you know, what data means what and what data means nothing and all that good stuff. Of course, obviously, tape is where everybody's, you know, or live games or in person, which is cool when you can do it, try to evaluate certain things, you know, how big a guy is. I mean, we all have talked about the speculative fiction that is the, uh, uh, you know, the the program that you, you know, whether you check out something online, whether you, you know, buy a program at a game, whatever it is, you're, I mean, come on, everybody's weight ends in either a five or a zero, everybody's, you know, either six feet tall or six foot two or six foot three or six foot eight or whatever, you know, you, so obviously, you know, you figure out pretty quickly that there's some money business uh, in the wild and wonderful world of program heights and weights. And so that's another thing that going to games can help you to do. Some guys you realize are bigger occasionally than, than what you're seeing in the program. Maybe, maybe they measured this person, you know, the freshman or sophomore year or whatever year and then never went back and, you know, checked or updated. And then more often than not, it's the other way. Uh, someone is shorter or lighter or both than you've been led to believe. 
So part of going to some of these all-star games is getting to unwrap the package to see just, you know, well, just how big is the package, you know, just what's what's inside of it. Uh, Winning the way in, people always talk about that, you know. That was a big deal with Russell Wilson. He was listed at six feet tall, uh, just so you know, Jim. If you looked at the NC State or um, or um, what do you call it, uh, Wisconsin uh, uh, program height and weight, he was listed at like six feet tall, two hundred and three pounds or two hundred four pounds or something like that. And you know, the whole world knew that that couldn't be true. <laughs> you know, that just can't be right. But we were all you know sort of on pins and needles, and he came in at five ten and five eights. And some people said, "Well, see, it's been a nice run, you know." <laughs> enjoy your time in Canada or playing Major League Baseball or what have you. And then obviously some people, you know, held out hope that he would at least get a chance to be a backup in the NFL. Very few people, you know, looked at Russell Wilson, despite what a great dominant player he'd been at two schools, uh, said, okay, this guy's definitely going to be just fine, you know, despite the fact that he will be, you know, one of the four or five shortest, players at that position in the history of ever. I mean, in the same breath with people like well, Lynn Dawson, people forget, was I mean, he's listed at 6 feet tall, but if you ask Lynn Dawson himself, or look at actual measurements that were ever taken of him, he was you know, 5'11-ish. People always talk about Drew Brees. You know, obviously Drew Brees is a guy who generously is listed at 6 feet. Uh, you've got I mean, Eddie LeBaron, of course, being the shortest ever at you know, five, five and seven eighths or whatever it was he actually was, uh, listed often at five seven. But he, you know his military records show that he wasn't five, wasn't five seven in fact. And you know, like there's a handful of other guys, but you know, so the pivot worked against you to a certain extent. I think Colt. Uh, I mean, Chase. Chase Daniel came in at, you know, 5'11-ish. I mean, there's been a handful of guys. So that's part of why. Oh, and, of course, congratulations. Uh, I know, you know, the senior bowl for everything didn't work out, but you will be at the East West Shrine yet. Now, have you attended the Shrine in the past, Jim? Or will this be your first time? This will be my first time at the Shrine, yeah. It's pretty cool. It actually is. Um the location of the actual venue where the game is held is not super convenient. Uh, people always talk about Tampa St. Pete, and it is unfortunately in the St. Pete, half of Tampa St. Pete, and it's not super easy to get there, which is explains some of the Tampa Bay Rays, or not actually Tampa, but explains some of their uh, struggles in even when the team is good in terms of, uh, you know, getting good turnout, getting good, you know, you know, a good number of people turning the turnstiles is because, you know, people make jokes about St. Petersburg being heaven's uh, waiting room. Now, that is changing. Uh, there are more younger people moving into St. Petersburg. But, yes, you know, the perception is somewhat correct even now, they it's still a place where like I say young people are moving in. You know, they didn't have a huge number of young families traditionally in that area. But yes. Uh it's a good experience. 
and it's a more interesting, there's more diversity, I guess what I'm trying to say, at the Shrine game in terms of the players who get invited. So, obviously, you've gotten a chance to watch a lot of players, but there must be some presence you're still looking to unwrap. Who are some players that you still want to, you know, rattle the box, try to figure out what's inside, open it up? Who are some of the players you still would like to unwrap more, Jen? Huh. Well, um, obviously some of the players at the Shrine game that I haven't seen, in particular, Zach Johnson from North Dakota State, haven't actually got to see his tape yet. Also, that guy, that guy. I think it's the Florida International or Florida Atlantic. No, I think it's international. They have a tackle there uh, from Florida International who I have not actually seen anything of at all um, at the Shrine game, too. And... Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's D. Got Joseph. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't actually seen uh, his film yet. But um, other than that, I've pretty much seen all the guys at the Shrine game for the most part. Um, well, oh, yeah, I mean, the Canadian people. Yeah. Oh, and the Canadian. Yeah, the Canadian people. But, you know, that's. You know, I don't know. I I know somebody in the. It's kind of like you know, pen pals. I guess Canadian people. Yeah. So right. I'm starting to do that a little bit, and one of them said he had some tape of the guy from. Uh, um, I think it's Lay. That not Lay Fat Laval, yeah, Laval University. So. There's that eventually. So, yeah, I mean, that that's what happens. You know, when you, when you watch tape, a lot of tape, um, you, you get to this point where you don't have to worry about catching up. You know, like, a, you know, you have to be, you don't have to be like Mike Mayock grinding 100 games and, uh, of tape one week before type of thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's you don't that's have a to tough do that. To be <laughs> when you're trying to play catch up. Yeah. So, but yeah, those types of guys, some FCS guys too. Uh, I've been kind of catching up to some of those guys. There's a lot of agent people too that have been like, "Hey, what do you think of this guy?" Oh, I haven't seen that guy. I guess I'll go see him. Some of them are good. Some of them are meh. But um. You know, that that also kind of flows into things as well. That's really about it. Uh, I mean, most of the stuff I've been doing right now is I'm doing uh, data stuff for the Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl. Because, uh, as you know, Bill, every single year the, the Shrine game happens and the Senior Bowl happens, and then the arm link stuff comes out and the height stuff comes out and the hand size stuff comes out. And people have no clue what they're talking about. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, he had 33-inch arm length. Will he work out at tackle? I don't know. Those are pretty short. Not like this. I mean, they had a guy there with 36-inch arms. I think he's better because he has 36-inch arms. You know, stuff like that happens a lot. Um, and uh, I figured, why don't I just do something where I basically just tell you, like, hey, here's the player. Here's what his production is like. Here's, you know, here's the stuff. And, and these are the particular heights and arm length and hand size. You know, like, these are the areas you should hit. And if he doesn't hit these areas, then, you know, there's at least some context as to why it's important as, you know, as to, you know, as to why he didn't hit those particular numbers versus the, I don't know, or I talked to a scout and he said that that arm length is bad, which oftentimes that's just their opinion. It's kind of like, I like six foot five quarterbacks, you know, it doesn't mean that six and five quarterbacks are better. In fact, statistically speaking, um, they're, they're kind of like everybody else. But if you have that preference or if your team has that preference, then people think, oh, well, this, this you know, being six foot six matters. It, you know, being six foot six is better at quarterback because this team likes players that are like that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're better. It just means that that team just happens to have that preference. So it's a lot of stuff like that too. But that's a lot of the stuff I've been doing right now on top of just kind of breaking down players that I haven't actually got chance to see one one newer guy in particular was uh cole he could he could the tight end from uh louisville who well, actually didn't get a chance to see he's not bad you know so that, that's the one thing i could say he has some some size and some stuff like that uh tool that's kind of interesting but uh but yeah that's pretty much all i'm gonna do as far as guys i haven't actually seen most of the guys that the Shrine game and stuff I've already seen, except for, like I said, that one tackle from Florida International, a couple of the guys. And the Canadian people. Right. <laughs> right. Gotcha. And for, I guess, more of a giving of a gift, who's a prospect that you think people haven't unwrapped yet? Like, I noticed that there's sort of a trickle effect. Like there's, and I guess it's the trickle picks up because a lot of people, I guess they backload their work. And, and so maybe they're discovering or finding or unwrapping, you know, some of these players, maybe a little later, you know, I, I guess I unwrap my, my, but most of them at least, uh, earlier in the season. Some of them I've started unwrapping before Halloween, I guess. But a lot of people seem to just be, uh, so who's, if you were going to give to draft Twitter or give to, you know, NFL scouts who might still be unwrapping, who who's a gift you would like to give? You know, a player that you think people just still haven't caught up to yet. Well, honestly, a bunch of the quarterbacks, because you got people out there saying that this is the the worst draft class of quarterbacks since 2013, that's pretty bad. You know, like if you, you know, like if, 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 if you're saying that it's that bad, um, I, I, I don't really think so. I think, I think guys like Patrick Mahomes, who's a guy that I really think nobody's actually, some people have seen him, but not everybody, but there's a lot of physical talent there. 
that is really, really impressive. Guys like Luke Falk is really impressive in terms of what he does. So I just think that there's there's too much hate on the quarterback class overall on top of the fact that you have a Greg Ward in this class. And I know nobody likes Greg Ward and nobody thinks that he's a quarterback and all that kind of stuff, even though he's played quarterback in high school and he's played college. But, you know, there's there's quarterbacks in the class that can play quarterback. It's just they don't have the quote-unquote traits or they don't play in a pro-style offense. There's lots of stuff like that. That's just kind of, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, those would be the stick of the plays, I would say. At running back, Aaron Jones. Uh, from uh, Texas El Paso. Oh, yes. I'm a big fan. Is another guy who I think people just aren't really familiar with. And a lot of that is because he's, he's played a, Texas he's El Paso. He's a complete back. That's why I like yeah. He's a complete back. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he can catch football. He can pass protect. Uh, he has some speed to him as well. He just plays at Texas El Paso, which is a really bad football team. So nobody <laughs> yes, watches you. And you don't even play in the SEC, so nobody, you know, it's not even like Missouri, you know, type of situation where nobody watches Missouri and they play in the SEC. It's like worse situation. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's really impressive in terms of what he does. Uh, but, obviously, there isn't a lot of buzz on him for, you know, reasons, like I said. Uh, James Butler at Nevada is also pretty impressive. He probably yeah. is going to come out, too. But I just kind of want to throw him out there because he's a pretty fun player to watch um, from those kind of standpoints. Um, wide receiver, I don't know why I have to keep saying this over and over again, but Cortland Sutton and Ishmael Zamora are both <laughs> better than Mike Williams. Um, they're more physical. They're more. They pretty much do the same thing that Mike Williams does in terms of, you know, back shoulder fade catches and stuff like that. It's just that they're, you know, good, you know, a little a bit better, you know, in terms of what they do. So, uh, I mean, he's kind of like that to me. Austin Carr especially, I would say, because I just have a feeling that nobody's seen Austin Carr at all. Well, you keep saying that, Jim, but if you're scouting Jordan Lewis or you're scouting Malik Hooker or whoever it is, you're scouting – a defender at Ohio State, or you're scouting a defender at Michigan or Michigan State or Wisconsin, then you have to have seen Austin Carr because he's always running through their secondaries. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> well, only because maybe maybe they didn't have Jordan Lewis versus Northwestern, right? Or oh, okay. it, you know, draft breakdown, the whole stuff. Like that, uh, you know, one very few games of a guy. But uh, I just don't think anybody's really seen Austin Carr. And it's really a shame because in terms of as a route runner, he's one of the better ones in the class. You know, yep. he's always open, really good body control. Uh, there's yep. just terrific body control. There's just not a lot to, like, you just haven't seen him. I mean, that's the only thing I can say. Like, you just haven't seen him. So. Um, that's really what it comes out to. Nobody's seen him. And even people that criticize him, uh, for the most part, if you really dig and question them on it, they'll eventually go, oh, well, yeah, I saw some flashes here and there. Which basically means that you didn't really, again, you didn't really see them. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, he's a really impressive player as a wide receiver, but there just isn't a lot of, you know, 
buzz or anything on him. Um, and the, and the same thing goes with, I I know. It's funny to say that Curtis Samuel is under hyped, I guess. He plays at Ohio State and everything else like that. But I really think he is, man. I think there's too much focus on him being a, a running back when he's really a slot bar receiver. So there's right. there isn't that like there's just all this. Right. Well, he plays on. the PHP. He plays the Percy Harvin position. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he does, but there's there's just too much of the sort of like. What is he? Well, he's a slot receiver. Well, what is he? He's not, I mean, I'm tired of this sort of – it's like football players have played different positions before. Like, why is this so hard for people? I, I don't know. Um, you just you look at what they excel at. What he really excels at is, is as, a, as a slot guy. I mean, sure, you can do the sort of, you know, end-around kind of stuff too, but lots of players can do that. I mean, shoot, Randy Moss can do an end-around thing, but that doesn't mean Randy Moss is a running back. So I just think there's stuff like that that I just find kind of odd uh, in terms of that. Uh, at tight end, I'd say Tyler Conklin, again, at Central Michigan, is a guy that I think would be a very interesting player for people to go check out in terms of what he can do. Gerald Everett from South Alabama is another player. Well. Well, oh, he, you know, he might run the fastest 40 at the combine, so. Um, and then people will really be on the bandwagon. So size-wise, I'm just curious as to what his size actually is because I don't think he's 250. I don't no, – 240 no. is stretching it, you know, um, if he comes in at 240. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he's, he's a lighter guy. He's more like a possession guy, but he does have speed. He does have quickness. So there, there's some potential there for a tight end like that. And right. And just because of the fact of all the tight end research I've done, I think that's really one of the more untapped sort of things out there is finding those types of tight ends who can kind of be slot receivers and, you know, stuff like that, more H-backy type tight ends and actually use them uh, instead of having them end up like, you know, James Casey or, you know, some of these other sort of guys that, you know, don't really get utilized that much and just kind of fade away, you know, to a certain extent because you don't know what to do with them because they're not in line or you don't, you know, stuff like that. But, but yeah, there, there's just guys like that that I think uh, are impressive, but people just haven't really seen their tape. Same thing with tackles in the class. I mean, Eric Magnuson is not considered, you know, to, to I don't know. It just depends on how you look at them. But, like, I look at Magnuson, I see a guy that's potentially a first-round tackle as a right tackle, uh, but obviously there isn't any movement on on the sticks when it comes to him. Uh, you know, Zach Goldditch at Colorado State is a guy I'm really impressed with who nobody likes or nobody even talks about. Or nobody even knows <laughs> who he is, huh. to be honest. Same oh, thing boy. with Daniel Brunskill, you know, in terms of... I mean, I'm not crazy, you know. I'm just I'm just saying, like, these guys are good players. They can do certain things yeah. really well. It's just that there isn't any buzz on them because they just haven't, again, I, I just haven't watched the tape. But, yeah, there's, there's guys like him that are kind of like that uh, at guard. Brian Allen would probably be a big sort of gift for people. They probably won't discover him until next year, but you'll probably hear his name a lot 
uh, once things start coming that way. Same thing with the centers as well. You know, Tyler Orlovsky and, and Chase Rillier from Wyoming. I think as people start to break down their tape as the senior bowl and the Shrine game comes up, people will be really impressed with the centers. Because you don't hear any – I mean, you hear Ethan Posick all day long when it comes to centers or interior offensive linemen. But there's a lot of really We've good been centers. hearing about him for over a year. Yeah. But guys like Tyler Orlowski and even Kyle Fuller at Baylor, I mean, those are really good center uh, prospects that people just, I, again, I, don't, I just don't think they've seen them. It's like when people do top 50 boards, you know, well, it's you did that because you've only seen 50 players, you know, I'm just saying, like, it's, it's just kind of like that. But, yeah, in terms of, like, edge rushers, Jordan Willis, is again, is going to be a guy that I think people are going to wake up to. I think he's going to have a huge senior bowl. Because, again, the tackles at the senior bowl are – the majority of them, anyways, that are going to the senior bowl are not very impressive. Struggle with speed, struggle with quickness. Uh, and you're going to put Jordan Willis up against that. I'm just saying, like, I'm not going to say it's going to be completely like – you know, he's going to be getting there over and over and over again, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was based on the talent that's going to be there at a tackle uh, so far. Uh, but, yeah, he, he's going to be a guy I think would be very impressive in terms of what he does. JT Jones as well from Miami, Ohio, who so far hasn't got a lot of buzz either, but I, I, I think he's been pretty impressive as well in terms of what he does uh, at – the defensive tackle position. My big one here is Jalil Johnson because I don't know what he has to do. You know, he put up, put up really good, you know, he put up decent tape this year as a three tech. He does all the sexy things that people like defensive tackles to do in terms of, you know, bursting into the backfield, uh, showing quickness, you know, uh, pushing and, you know, and you know, knocking offensive linemen on their back. And, you know, he does all that stuff. Playing with power, yes. The sexy stuff. And yet there's, like, nothing in terms of hype or anything else like that, on top of being one of the more productive defensive tackles in college football as well. So, and, he, and it's not like he played, again, it's not like he played at, like, Mountain West Conference. It's like he played at Iowa, you know, in the Big Ten. Like, there's just sort of – it's sort of like people went to go see Desmond King and then they didn't stay for anybody else. It feels like, like there's just that sort of sense of like, yeah, we went to go see this player, but we didn't see anybody else. But I think he's been really impressive. I see him as kind of a late first-round kind of player uh, easily once everything starts picking up. So I think people need to check him out before it's too late. Uh, if you will. Um, but yeah, he, he's pretty impressive in terms of what he does. At linebacker, Tylos and Laley, Calvin Munson, are, you know, those are two guys that I, I've been really impressed with. That's sort of guys that people don't really talk about that are really impressive. Corn Elder, especially. I think the big reason why Corn Elder doesn't really get that much hype because people, again, they just haven't seen the tape. You know, there isn't that much tape on them as far as draft breakdowns concerned. Um, and the tape there, you know, one of them is against Georgia Tech. 
which was him just tackling, which again, I, I like watching those games to, you know, for, to judge toughness and the ability to, you know, tackle in space and fight off blocks and stuff like that. But most people just kind of shy away from those games because it's, you know, Georgia Tech. But still, um, you know, there's, there's tape that's out there, but just nobody's seen him and stuff like that. And I think the last guy in particular, well, actually, last two guys, again, Nat Jerry from Nebraska is a very impressive player as a safety, very fun player to watch that I think a lot of people haven't really caught up to. And Demarius Travis in Minnesota, he's also been kind of a very feisty sort of uh, free safety type who's been impressive this year. But uh, I think those are all the guys, really. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really good players in this class. But, again, I just think that they're because they're not a top guy or they weren't mentioned as a top player, just there hasn't been any movement in terms of anything, you know. You know, it, it's – it's like I said, it, it's almost like we we're tearing down the top 50 guys instead of, like, actually watching – tape on guys that we haven't seen you know it's like you know Bucky Brooks for example did a a redraft sort of article you know like hey let's redraft the first round and it's like dude it's December you know like it's you know don't you have other players to watch that you haven't seen you know don't you have more tape to watch a certain process like like you can do that redraft article after the draft is over and then do one of those types of things, you know, in the off season, like that's where that article belongs in the off season, you know, right now it's draft season. So hmm. there's just, uh, at, le- at least with me, I'm just saying like, there's no reason why you should be doing a redraft article, you know, right now because there's tons weekend. of other things you could be talking about. People do those, you know, things you should wait longer on sooner and sooner each year. And, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, the uh, East-West or whatever they call their particular one actually took place prior to, you know, the first game of the season. But, yes, I it's just astonishing some of the things that we've seen. So between Shrine, NFLP, and Senior, You'd like to think that all the deserving seniors will get their chance. And, of course, scouts look at them in practice, and they spot them on other team games, you know, where you're trying to, you know, have a nice quiet evening watching these corners play cornerback at a high level. And then eventually, like I said, I don't know if it's desperation or whatever it was, you know, they decided to toss in. Like I said, all that money, you know, and uh, see what happens. But there's, I mean, there's so many interesting things going on now. The, the coach cares about pretty much done unless something very strange happens. I think in an effort to to be safe, you know, to, to however you want to put it, a lot of people myself included, for a while, turn their backs. Well, maybe turn their backs. You know, we're very positive about being with being with uh, you know people with that. Uh, I guess in the case of um, 
Come back. So, Jim? Mm-hmm. Jim? Yeah. Uh, the Raiders are, are a good football team, and uh, which is, you know, fun to say. I, I'm, I'm very much not a Raiders fan, but I think football is more interesting. NFL football is more interesting than Raiders are good. But despite that, they still need to pick up a few little things you know, they, what would you like to stuff in their stocking based on some of the prospects that are out there? Um, you know, who, who would you who would you gift wrap and leave under the tree for uh, Mr. McKenzie? Well, I mean, I would get a running back. We have a lot of running backs. And don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Latavius Murray's cool, but when you have opportunity to get a Christian McCaffrey or you have an opportunity to get a Jamal Williams or you have an opportunity to get, you know, any of the running backs in this class, you do it. You know, you don't hesitate. You don't overthink it. You know, you just do it. Um, And I think that's my big thing is, you know, as much as, you know, we have running backs and stuff like that, I think getting a guy like McCaffrey or getting a guy like even Dunter Foreman or if for some crazy reason Dalvin Cook, you know, went late for whatever reason, um, you know, those would be kind of things that I I think would really benefit the team overall in terms of what they can bring to the table. Uh, Austin Carr, you know, a car-to-car connection would be kind of cool also uh, because we do have a lot of wide receiver depth to a certain extent, but I think we can always get better at that number three, number four spot. And I think Austin Carr would fit pretty well with the types of wide receivers that we have on the team and bring another dimension in terms of a, a guy who can play in the slot, he can play in the boundary. Like you just have another guy who can pretty much do a ton of different things and could eventually take over for Crabtree long term um, if uh, stuff happens in terms of contracts and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that would be pretty impressive, at least to me, in terms of getting a guy like that. I think tight end-wise, Tyler Conklin or, uh, you know, any of those sort of guys or Mason Shrek or, you know, somebody like that might be kind of interesting. Um, right tackle especially. Tackle in general, man, um, is something that I really – it's the one thing I, I worry about the most when it comes to the Raiders is the tackle position. I mean – I mean, if you've, I mean, you've seen Vettel Alexander's feet. You've seen the sort of things that have happened at times at tackle on the Raiders that if it was any other team, like if, if we were the Panthers, you know, for example, with Cam Newton and everything else like that, it would be inexcusable. But, you know, we have an offense that gets for the football quickly. You know, McKenzie has the type of guy in mind that he kind of likes at right tackle despite the fact that they kind of struggle with speed rushers and, you know, stuff like that. But I just think if we could just get better there with somebody who's like a legit right tackle and also get a guy, you know, in case Donald Penn gets hurt and injured, because he's getting up there in age, he's got a tight history of injury. If we could just get that type of a player in this class, which I think there's a lot of right tackle types, like Eric Magnuson, 
uh, or a, you know, Zach Goldich or Brunskill, you know, somebody like that who's a little bit more athletic, I think we would benefit a lot from having that type of guy. It would give Carr a little bit more time to make plays down the field and just give a little bit extra time to, to do a bunch of stuff, man. So I think that would be my big thing is to get that sort of player there. Defensively, cornerback, safety are two big things I, I think we're gonna we are going to address, but honestly, my big thing is to address the interior defensive line. I don't know if they're actually going to look at that particular area because we've already invested in guys like Jihad Ward and Mario Edwards who but but again I don't really like those guys long term. We're still gonna we're still gonna pretend like, oh well they'll just develop and become better. I don't really think that's going to happen, <laughs> but at the same time, I would like to get some sort of a, you know, either a defensive end or or interior defensive lineman who I think could add some dimensions to the pass rush, uh, because uh, so far we're getting by with Khalil Mack and you know a couple other guys, which is fine. Khalil Mack's great, but if Khalil Mack had some more stuff around him, you know, things would be really good. So I think, however, they approach. I just hope that we at least improve the cornerback and, and uh, safety, especially. And I think if we do that, we'll be a lot better long term. On top of, on top of, we must get, again, we must get a tackle, right tackle, left tackle. You name it. Like we need to get that. Period. If we come out of this class without a right tackle, like a legit right tackle, not some sort of experiment sort of thing that we've done before and we ended up cutting a couple guys like that. Uh, you know, we, we just have to do it. We have to get a legit right tackle if we're going to improve and get better long-term with uh, Carr. And we briefly touched upon a few 
places I wanted to delve a little more deeply. You and I, and I'll admit I'm still playing catch-up on several positions, particularly this rather intriguing interior line class. So uh, tell me a place where you might leave a little something and then who you think would be a good fit there. Jim? Yes. Jim? Looks like we may have lost Jim, so I'll touch on a couple more things and then we'll, we'll wrap. I've been on Carter Shelton, you and I, since last year. Anyone who knows me has spotted that. But just looking at the, the topography, I kept hearing about you know certain classes being strong, certain classes being weak, and then some being you know pretty close to average. This is one you know from people I'd heard who either had been a friend, family, or whatever that you know, similar to their experience of being on the drag field there. And, of course, obviously a place where they've only had scholarship, nice scholarship there, nothing like it, but they've only committed, you know, first leads, uh, gotten all the resources. Well, that, that part, we'll see how much that changes. So, yes, uh, I'm excited about the tight ends that will be there. Intrigued by quarterbacks.
I'm interested to see how that plays out. So I guess I'll touch on a couple of others and then we will finish with our huh. I'm glad you brought up that particular I don't know what he's supposed to do Oh. 
Thank mm-hmm. you. 
So getting to your particular 2015 Christmas presents, in terms of what would you like to see under the Raiders tree? I'm intrigued to see how all of my guys, you know, well, my guys, you know what I mean, the small school guys hold up. That's a question every year. Uh, I want to see how Colts Carter Schultz holds up. Your guy, Eric Costell. Those are all things I'll be intrigued by. And I'm going to see somebody, you know, 
compare him to. I mean, name basically any non-170 or so touch guy at the next level can't be good. You know, these two things, these things are inexorably linked. You must be good and your team must win at the same time. Apparently, for the villain, the, well, the, you know, the classic Bond villain, you know, to be able to explain in intricate detail the play is a foot. Yeah, so that's something I'd like to see. And, of course, I've been a broken record on the uh, quarter front, but clearly for, you know, the team that I guess I've still most of I which is uh, Pittsburgh, it's a quote-unquote weak class, I keep hearing people say, but I'm all about a dollar to a donut that two of those players, I think, well, two at least, possibly more, are available, are, there at the game as uh you know as apologies and we'll see what happens Uh, anybody else that you would toss in there that you think will be pleasant gifts that we may not have touched upon yet? Jim, you still with me? Yeah, we may have lost him. I'll just hit a couple of mine. Uh, deep running back class, but uh, I say this Bathers, Edo Smith, uh, assuming he get healthy enough to work out as pro day, Kate Harrington from uh, Sam Houston State University. People have woken up or reawakened or whatever recently to Michael Payne. Uh, I'm trying to think who else I've noticed. Uh, there's a few others. Um, I'm trying to think of who else to mention. Oh, uh, good air to the um, tight end from Van, uh, from uh, South Dakota State University. Starting to gain a little buzz. A uh, couple of corners really like one's Cameron Thomas. Tusculum, you know, obviously it'd be great if you were doing what he did at uh, Arkansas or you were super excited about, you know, his, essentially the entire year, I guess, so, you know, once he got to conference and things like that, you get a good idea of lots of things, but you can still spot 
uh, certain teams that aren't fixed or attached, you know, to a certain idea or set of ideas so much they won't be able to adjust to anything new. Yeah, I guess that will do. Uh, as always, this is a great time of year for a bunch of reasons. We hopefully learned some good things about, about uh, you know, a bunch of really interesting football players. We hopefully learned some good things about uh, ourselves. <laughs> a lot has happened. This has been a uh, very difficult year for a bunch of different reasons and a bunch of different ways. But uh, no matter what, no matter who you are and what you do and where you are, I hope that you will move from this year to the next, having grown, you know, having learned and laughed, having loved and been loved. You know, it's, don't get too corny or whatever, but life is often uh, short, sometimes much shorter than you might expect. And don't leave here not having learned, not having loved, and not having been loved. And of course, uh, take advantage of every opportunity. You know, you uh, people rarely end up having tremendous regrets about things they did do. They usually have great regrets about things they did not. You know, so I guess that's the last point I'll make about that. Earlier, I was joined by Jim, uh, Jim Coburn, who is just the best of the best, basically, when it comes to the wild and wonderful world of not just being aware of metrics or throwing around numbers, but to know which ones matter, what they mean, which ones are actually consequential, yes, exactly, consequential, and which ones are not and which ones are just uh, just numbers. You know, how to use them, how to weight them, uh, what they can and can't be used to do. And, uh, you know, if you aren't following Jim, then what the heck are you doing with your life, as I said before, <laughs> as I've said in the past. Uh, let's see. So as of tomorrow, we will do a special feeling draft. I may or may not have some special, special guests working on lining a few of them up, and I'll I'll confirm that sooner rather than later. Uh, so there'll be an email going out tomorrow about that. And uh, a lot of football. I hope everybody who loves football gets a chance to watch it, enjoy it, uh, evaluate, criticize, learn from, um, come away from it, hopefully knowing more than you knew before, and all that good stuff. And let's see, what else is there? Yes, and I hope that your your Christmas, your Hanukkah, your Kwanzaa, uh, whatever it is you may happen to celebrate, I hope it's great. I hope it's amazing. I hope it's unforgettable. You've survived, if you indeed have survived 2016, the Widowmaker uh, year. Uh, you deserve uh, a lot of credit for having done so. It's been one heck of a year. 
for a bunch of different reasons. As I said, we lost a lot, but we also gained a lot as well. And as I said, I thank you all for your time, your talents, and your attention. We'll do this again in, well, be a little over a week, I guess. Uh, we'll be back on our normal Saturdays as of next week. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.